Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of MLS Gone Wild. This is your host, Blem. MLS fans, we're back. This is Mike D, and I hope everyone is having an awesome week. Week one of MLS Fantasy is in the books, and we would like to con- congratulate Rhonda Kay, who is the MLS Gone Wild fantasy leader through week one with 106 points. Mike D, he finished 229th with just a measly 40 points, and I didn't do much better. I finished in 220th place on 42 points. The more you think you know, the less you actually know. So best of luck to everyone next week. But on today's episode of MLS Gone Wild, It will be a double feature. First, we will be joined by Eli Lesser from the popular YouTube and Instagram page This Week in MLS to talk about all the week one MLS action. And later in the episode, we will be joined by Portland Timbers midfielder Eric Williamson to discuss his career and aspirations. But I'm going to steal this one from you, Eli. Without further ado, Eli Lesser, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. What's up, lads? This has been a long time coming. I'm a big fan of the pod. You know, when you guys sent out that fantasy link, I knew I had to join. And this is the first year I'm taking fantasy seriously because, as you mentioned, the more you think you know, the dumber you are. And that's kind of how I've been historically in MLS fantasy. So I'm excited to maybe put more effort this year. Yeah, you did a lot better than we did. But I do want to thank you for the shout-out coming from a guy who runs, like, the biggest MLS page on Instagram and the biggest YouTube uh, about MLS. So that means a lot, man. appreciate that. Well, you know, I'm pretty new to the Twitter community, and you guys have been very welcoming to me. You know, not everyone I've mentioned, people have blocked me on there. Not everyone has been very welcoming. So I very much appreciate you guys, MLS Aces, and a bunch of the others on um, Twitter and on all the platforms for being so kind. Yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't get you unblocked. I'm still kind of working on that. It's all good. I kind of stole something from him today in a way. Um, Not really, but, you know, he retweeted something about Messi, and I was like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to talk about Messi because I need likes on Instagram. But, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I don't steal things, okay? I'm just putting it out there now. I don't steal things. (laughs) Um, But I I definitely credit where I got things from now. That wasn't the case maybe four years ago when I was a little puny – baby but um things have changed i've matured and i know the game better than i did before talking about journalism game and also soccer um but you mentioned it i have to ask it do you think lionel messi is actually going to come to the mls of course not (laughs) of course not i mean of course we could dream and all of that but like i really don't believe he'll ever leave barca for some reason i just i just can't imagine him not being there Yeah, we would love to see it, and if he did come here, he would bring the bangers. But MLS is back, and so are the bangers. Paul Marie with a Beckham-esque curler for San Jose. Job Paulo with a cushion and full volley to open the scoring for Seattle. Brendan Hines-Ike with a one-time laser to help open the Hernan Lasada era with a win. I could go on and on. Eli, I will turn it over to you first. What was your goal of the week and why? I'm going to try to mention one that you didn't mention, and I'm going to go Randall Leal. His goal for Nashville, I thought that was beautiful. Was it lucky? Maybe. We'll see. But just the fact that, you know, he got the draw because of that 
It's beautiful. And I have big expectations for him. I think all the Nashville attackers have to step it up this season. If they want to remain a playoff team with teams like Atlanta getting better, you know, their spot is really on the line. So they, they definitely have to score more goals because that's the one thing they didn't quite do as well last year. Yeah, and he contributed with an assist as well in their tie against Cincinnati. So a big week one for Randall Leal. In, in the name of not going with the most obvious goal of the week, you know, Jao Paulo's touch to, to strike the ball, um, we're not going to go with that one because that's the obvious one, right? So I'm going to go with Freddie Montero. Uh, Freddie Montero's finish uh, from a cross-in from Alex Roldan. First time, back stick. Um, Wonder finish to to get his his momentum going for Seattle, returning to his club that he started with in the MLS. Uh, I'm giving Freddie Montero the goal of the week. I like that. he's gonna be he's gonna be huge when Rui Diaz goes out on international duty. And the ball that was played in by I believe it was Alex Roldan was an outswinger, so it was swinging away from Freddie Montero, and Freddie Montero handled it on the half volley as cleanly as you possibly could. It was an absolutely phenomenal goal, and it's a real welcome back to Seattle for him. Yeah. I mean, that ball was up in the air for a long time. It gives you a lot of time to think about it. You know, you're watching it come down, and the ability to hit it right where you needed to hit it to hit it back stick, well done. Yeah. So my goal of the week, it's going to be very untraditional. It's almost going to be like the team goal of the week. So we got Stojanovic to Sekulic to Baric and saying all this hurts my brain and it almost makes me want to itch. So my goal of the week is Robert Baric's fifth minute goal for the Chicago fire. Stojanovic received the ball at midfield, combined with his other center midfielder, switched the ball to his left back. Then he made his way to the left touchline, drifted inside, received the ball, played a wall pass to a four, then played a perfectly weighted ball to Sekulic who played the 11th and final pass for a Baric tap in. And as Matthew Doyle called it, champagne football yeah. but if you would have told me in the 12th minute that the fire could keep a 2-0 lead and not revert back to their 2020 ways that would have been an overreaction so speaking of overreactions fellas what are your way too early overreactions from week one of mls play chicharito is back and he is better than ever the workout routine is flawless his emotions are in check and he will lead the LA Galaxy to a top four playoff spot in the West. Also, shout out to Ethan Zubak, who had the most beautiful assist of the weekend. If we were talking about assists, I think the ball that he served to Chicha has to be the best assist out of them all. Got to shout out Greg Vanny there, though, too, making that adjustment and, adjustment and substitution. So I'll go next, then. We'll just follow suit. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here. This one's an overreaction to the, to the utmost. Joseph Martinez doesn't do anything in 2021. You heard it here first. I praised Joseph Martinez, and I, I hyped him up on the return to the 26th season of MLS. But we've seen him in CCL. We've seen three games, right? You know, he's got some starts. He doesn't. And I'm not seeing a, a whole lot. I get it. He's coming back from an ACL injury. You know, you, you have to take it easy. You have to be careful. You know, you don't want to re-injure. Um, but I'm not seeing a whole lot of activity. He's not getting involved a whole lot. And I just don't see it happening. 
So I can agree with that up until about maybe the halfway point of this MLS season. I think he may be a little underwhelming. I came back from ACL injury and I myself was underwhelming until I got my legs back under me, got actually game fit and back into the rhythm of playing soccer. So, and he's under a new coach with a similar system to what they had in their 2018 MLS cup winning season. So hopefully Gabriel Heinze will get him in check, get him flowing into the system. I hope to see him have a big second half of the season, but I don't disagree with you that he might not have a great first half of the season. So for me, Minnesota lost to Seattle four to zero on opening night of the 26th season of MLS and it was a rematch of the Western Conference Finals. A lot of people had Minnesota rated and ranked pretty highly. I had them ranked probably Midwest, and then they signed Abila, and I moved them up a couple spots. But I believe that's an overreaction. I don't think they're going to be as good as some predicted. Their midfield, for me, is a little bit weak with Will Trapp and Greg Goose. They really need to get in that left midfielder, the Argentine winger Franco Frampagne. They really need to get him in because Bebelo Reynoso is really missing a midfield partner. Kevin Molino got transferred to the Columbus crew in the offseason. So whereas I think Reynoso and Abila will still be able to score goals and there'll be a nice attacking combination up front, I think he's missing something in the midfield. He was flanked by Hassani Dotson and Ethan Finley in their opening match against Seattle. And those guys really – I can't even compare them to Kevin Molino, obviously, but they don't even play as an inverted wingers. Ethan Finley's getting down that right-hand side. He's not super comfortable with cutting inside. And Hassani Dotson, we just saw him with the U23 national team, and he's more comfortable inside. Him playing out wide on the left isn't necessarily his strong suit. So I really think they need to bring in Franco Francpagne, the Argentine winger, have him out left as more of an inverted winger, combining with Reynoso. And I believe they need to move Hassani Dotson back into the midfield and have some kind of combination of Hassani Dotson and Will Trapp or Hassani Dotson and Greg Goose, or maybe even introduce Alonzo back into the lineup. He's a proven starting 6'8 in MLS. And they, they just need to, they need to do something. But early indications for me is saying that they are going to underperform and they are not going to be as good as most predicted. Can I rebut? Yes. Okay, because I am one of those people who put Minnesota United at number two. And there's, they're adding that Argentine winger, but they're also adding a French forward, Adrian Hanuo. I've not, I don't know how to pronounce the name. I'm not going to cap. But he's 27 years old, pretty decent in League One in France. Say all you want about the competition there. But they're adding him, they're adding the winger, and I also think that the duo of Emmanuel Reynoso and Abila will be, like, arguably the best in the league come midseason because of that Boca connection. You know, Emmanuel Reynoso, to me, is the assist king of MLS, and I hope, and this was my overreaction as a prediction to the season, but I had him beating Carlos Valderrama's assist per season record of 26, which he had in 2000. I, I hopped on that train, and... I have to regrettably stay on that train for the entire season. And I'm just going to say this. Sure, Abila came on and he did not score. But he was put in dangerous spots and he did look very decent to me. And I think once he gets in that first goal, the second one's going to come. The third one's going to come. And once him and Reynoso finally figure out that chemistry, it's going to be a GG. I think Minnesota will still finish 
at the, like the second seed in the West. Hey, that's why this is an overreaction. I was expecting to come on here and get absolutely screamed at. You know, they didn't make the Western Conference final last year for no reason. They were a really fun, really good team to watch, and they came into form at the right time. So I really do hope the Boca Juniors connection does come back. And you could kind of tell, like you just talked about, that Reynoso and Abila, that connection sparked immediately when Abila came on the field as a substitute. So I hope they do get that together, but that is my overreaction. No, that's fair. Before we move on, does anybody have any other overreactions they want to scream about real quick? I do. I got one in my back pocket. I throw it at me. Are we doing right. positive ones or negative ones too? It doesn't matter. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Whatever your overreaction is, yeah. So the one that I have is Vancouver is actually a good team in 2021. <laughs> so the reason I think this, you know, watching the Portland game, I thought that they were really good in possession. They played really quickly, one-two touch passes. They have a really good core that returned from last year. They only let five guys go in the offseason. And they made some acquisitions that could really help them. Um, but I liked what I saw from Vancouver. Cavallini is off to a good start from, you know, World Cup qualifying to preseason. So if he can keep that up, it's going to help tremendously. Um, Mark DeSantos is in the final year of his contract. Um, and with that comes an added level of pressure, you know, kind of like the winner go home situation in CCL that we see. So I think that Vancouver, if they continue to play the way that we saw them play against Portland, could be a good team, make the playoffs, um, which is something that they, they haven't done in some time. So on the opposite end of that, to, to kind of rebut against my overreaction, the argument is, well, well, Portland didn't play a great game. They have CCL fever, la, 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 right? Even if Portland was to finish their chances, they only narrowly beat Vancouver in that game. So say what you will, overreaction from Mike D, Vancouver is actually a good team in 2021. You know what? I'm going to say something similar to that, but about another Canadian team because Club de Foot is playing elite football right now. The fact that they had four different goal scorers in one match, that intrigues me because, you know, many people are getting involved. Stay tuned for my video tomorrow. I did a little imitation of Mason Toy's, uh, you know, the little... But um, you know what? Sure, you could say the same thing about Toronto as you mentioned with Portland. They got CCL fever. They don't even have half their club. But either way, I mean, Club de Foot convincingly took that match and they played that game their way. It was all them all the time. And just the combination of each of those goals was beautiful. Those were team goals overall. And then Romel Kyoto, you can you will not hear me shut up about him because he was the most underrated player in MLS all of last season. It's only because Club de Foot was so low in the table that he didn't get more recognition, but he put up great numbers and we saw an elite goal from him in this match when he chased down that ball like many yards outbeat the 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 new homegrown kid that Toronto's uh signed and then absolutely demolished a goal from a tight angle it was beautiful it was class and you know what's class club de foot and the Donovan vibes yeah, all over that goal I almost picked the Kyoto goal as my goal of the week just because he put on the absolute burners and then he blasted it into the roof of the net, which was awesome. But Wilfred Nancy does have that team in one game. They, they look like they have a style of play. They looked good. And to go out there and beat a Canadian rival in Toronto FC game one is huge. But you did just mention Mason Toy. Also, Georgie Mihailovic. Those are their two new guys. Mason Toy coming from Minnesota. He wasn't getting the playing time. He wasn't getting uh, the numbers. He wasn't getting the production. Georgie Mihailovic. 
he's been an okay player for the Chicago Fire. We saw him with the U23s, and he comes in game one with Montreal, Club de Foot, I'm sorry, and he, he scores a goal. And also, one thing I was texting Mike D about is something I find intriguing is the double pivot midfields uh, across MLS and the sixes, just midfield in general. We're both midfielders here. And I loved Wanyama and Piet and how they operated in that midfield in that game against Toronto. No, absolutely. And it, it's just very interesting. Uh, and about Georgie specifically, I think that Georgie going to Montreal was the perfect thing for him because he will be kind of their number 10 and he's going to get the freedom to unleash with Montreal. So we will truly see how good Georgie Mihalovic is in this role at Club de Foot. This is the best opportunity he's going to get. And if he wants to eventually make a move to maybe Europe or something, this is his chance to succeed and excel. Okay, so talking about guys that are U.S. men's national team, U23 pool players, we're going to well, – let's scream about this one, okay? Another guy that we would love to see go over to Europe. We're having a lot of conversation of who the backup six is for the U.S. men's national team. Jackson Yule, who arguably could be – do you guys think he needs to leave San Jose to continue to develop? Because under Mateus Almeida's system, his bad – they're – strange tactics and them just being a bad team and them having a low usage rate and not being used like he is with the national team. You think he needs to get out of there? I mean, the San Jose hater in me thinks Wando should even get out of there to develop more. Um, but no, I mean, I would love to see Jackson Yule in a system like Greg Berhalter's, um, which is obviously very rare. Maybe a Columbus crew would be a destination. I don't know if you, uh, you guys obviously don't need him. Um, but Jackson, you should get out of there. I don't know if Europe is the answer yet for him. I think if he's on more of a contender in MLS, he'll get the recognition that he deserves because what we see for the national team, what we see for the U 23s is a very talented midfielder. And I, I personally have always rated him and he's been slept on by USMNT fans, probably because he plays for San Jose. I mean, it's a thing we always see. Um, with the, I'm getting used to the Twitter fan base. So this is just stuff that I'm pulling from them, but. Yeah, no, I, I, I do agree. And being a crew fan, yes, I would love to have him. And I would especially love to have him over your boy, Perry kitchen, who we just got. <laughs> we, yeah, we, uh, Perry kitchen was a hot pile of cheese garbage for <laughs> the galaxy over the past couple seasons. The one, the one player that I am a little sad is no longer with the galaxy is Joe Corona. Um, because I don't think he was bad at all for the Galaxy the past couple of years. And honestly, they could use him this year. I mean, it was nice to see Saldana, a homegrown kid, get the start in his Major League Soccer debut in the first match of the season. But the whole time I was thinking, man, what if we had Joe Corona right now? Or the Galaxy had Joe Corona right now. Yeah, and he came out game one with Houston Dynamo and provided the opening assist of MLS with the assist of Memo Rodriguez. Exactly. But guys – now that we're done screaming and being irrational, whose stock rose and whose stock has fallen after week one? So first I'm going to bring up my MLS Gone Wild fantasy mistake that I made. Because after having a very underrated season last year that almost got him into the MLS Best 11, my head ass decided to pick up Darwin Quintero and put him in my starting lineup of the fantasy team. I was like, a lot of people are going to sleep on him. I'm going to bring him up. Houston Dynamo won the match, but Darwin Quintero was nowhere to be found. And what does that tell you? It tells you this team does not need him for the salary that they are paying him. And I just, he's, he's a no for me. His stock is definitely 
decreasing. And another person whose stock is decreasing. I'm going to go to the same, ex- the same match, Houston versus San Jose, but I want to do a player and a coach. Matias Almeida, I've said it, since he's come to MLS, overrated as hell. He has always been overrated in MLS. It's just the Chivas fans hyping him up because he was their boy back in the time. But now that he's getting players from Chivas, he's getting more of his guys. He's getting Chofis. He's getting Alanis. He's getting guys that know him and he knows well. You have no excuse as a manager but to not succeed when you're bringing in your guys. Because I've seen managers succeed – or. Great managers fail in situations where they were not able to bring in their own players that fit their system. But the fact that you've now been at San Jose for, I I believe this is his third season, and you still haven't made them into a playoff team, getting guys that are your guys, I mean, it's a bust for me. And I'll laugh about 2019 forever when they lost their last seven games when they were a playoff team because so many people were like, oh, wow, he really turned the club around. But I'm like, no, they still haven't made the playoffs. So it's like, I, I just don't get the Al- Almeida hype. So I'm always going to just decrease his stock, especially after losing to Houston. Sure, it was at Houston. It's the, it's the dynamo. Like, come on. Sorry. Yeah, well, they, 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 they could have tied that game if Wondolowski would have finished that ball. I mean, he was essentially in the net. All he had to do was touch it. Into yeah. the net. 2014 flashbacks, but we don't got to talk about that right now. <laughs> Give him a little kiss there. So I got two I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about. My first one, um, before Blake steals it from me, is going to be Josh Atencio. Um, making his first MLS start. Stock um, up he, or stock down? Stock up. Stonks up for Josh Atencio. Uh, at Seattle, making his first MLS start at 19 years old, filling in some big shoes, Nico Ladero. Now, of course, he didn't fill in for his position. He filled in with the absence of Nico Ladero. Did a really, really good job. You watch this game. He stood out to me as composed, positionally sound, uh, especially being matched up with arguably one of the best midfielders in the league in Reynoso. So um, he did a really good job for me, dropped into some spaces, uh, was able to get forward and make some passes. He had two really big moments for me that I noticed, one in which he stole the ball off of Reynoso uh, to quickly start a counterattack where he could have actually had a chance to score uh, if he was recognized, um, which he was not. And another where he made an incredible dribble, uh, run through the midfield, fighting off Reynoso down the right side, uh, hitting a nice Cruyff at the corner flag. Uh, He did a really good job for me. um, And, playing in front of Schmetzer and with the surrounding cast that he has, the pressure that's there for Seattle to do well, um, he, he did a, a great job. So my next is going to be a stonk down, right? Um, and this one's going to go to a collective team, and it's going to be Nashville. And the reason is because they played an FCC team that has won the wooden spoon two years in a row Nashville had 31 shots on or 31 shots excuse me 12 of those which were on target and only two goals against the two-time wooden spoon winner in FC Cincinnati they then let FC Cincinnati score two goals now granted one of them was a PK however both of those goals came in the first 12 minutes of the game so that's not good enough. Nashville's a really good team defensively, um, and they did some really good things at the end of last year. So for them to come into the season and let Cincinnati do this to them, their stonk went down for me. 
Yeah, well, it was the $13 million man that scored the penalty kick. Then you got your boy Luciano Acosta getting a bucket. So, Brucho with the brace. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Before I get into my stuff, Eli, do you have anybody's stock went up? Yes, I forgot to mention that. And I mentioned this player earlier, but I want to dive in a bit deeper. And we're talking about, I will bring up the Galaxy again, a forward for the Galaxy, a big-name guy. And I'm not talking about Chicharito. I'm talking about Ethan Zubak. Because... I, and I've talked with him throughout the offseason. He's always been a striker. He's played striker his whole entire career. But then, under Vanny, Vanny's been playing him as a left winger. And how that has affected the way the Galaxy offense runs has been absolutely remarkable. Because Ethan Zubak, while playing alongside Chicharito, doesn't just benefit Zubak, but it benefits Chicharito in so much many ways as we saw with the goals I'm not going to talk about the the messy like assist from Zubak right here even though that was a big reason for the stock up but also on the second goal when that cross is coming in when that ball is coming in all the attention from the inner Miami defenders went on Zubak because he is the big presence there and they're all expecting him to try to put a head on it but then the ball gets past him and it's just Chidorito and a goal. Chich- I said Chidorito. Uh, Chicharito and the goal for a simple tap-in. I think that partnership will be mutually beneficial for both. And I'm very excited to see where that might go. I'm definitely stocking up Ethan Zubak, a player who has been or has become sort of a meme to LA Galaxy fans. But I love seeing the homegrowns thrive. And he had a great start to the season in, in Miami. I agree with you. So... My stock up player was the 2020 MLS Super Draft number one pick, number one pick overall, and Inter Miami gets a lot of flack because they passed up on a guy by the name of Daryl DK two times, who by the way just scored a bicycle kick today in the English Championship. My stock up player this week is Robbie Robinson. He's only started. This was now his fifth start in the league. Iguain basically gave him a dunk, but he's been under pressure to perform with them passing up on Daryl DK, who's now price tagged $20 million being with rumors of being sold to big name teams in the premier league for him to come out game one of the 2021 MLS season and get a goal, not only gives him confidence, but also gives the fan base some confidence. Like, okay, now that we're actually giving this guy an opportunity, he can actually play a little bit. And Phil Neville actually came out and said that he is pleased with Robbie Robinson's progress and that he could be really, really special. And so that's something I'm looking forward to seeing. You know, he was lined up out wide left and he did get that goal. I look forward to seeing him continue to progress and hopefully have, more moments like this and continue to score goals. And I would be kicking myself if I didn't mention this. Tyler Pasher, ex Indy 11 player, now plays for the Houston Dynamo. By the way, Houston Dynamo, the whole team stocks up. Loved it. They didn't have a single DP on the field. I could have picked Max Rudy, Fafa Pico, Tyler Pasher, or Joe Corona. It didn't matter. But for me, it was the most impressive that a guy that just came in from the USL Championship. He's only played, I believe, 45 minutes and that was in the MLS. In MLS, I'm sorry, I keep saying the in front of it. I'm a degenerate. But he played for Sporting Kansas City in 2017 for 45 minutes, and this is his first game back. And he notches an assist to Maxi Rudy. He looked comfortable out there. He looked explosive. He had 23 goals and six assists and 50 appearances for Indy 11. So not a bad game one for Pasher in the Dynamo jersey. So I'm super stoked about that. 
And for me, stocks down. Every team from MLS that advanced to the CCL quarterfinals, stocks down. The only team that scored out of those five was Toronto FC. Okay. I, I don't know if it's CCL fever, tired legs, what it is, but come on, guys. We, if we're winning in CCL, we got to beat some of these guys in, in, within the league. Come on. It was very hard for me as someone who's been very adamant about the Va- – or not about the Vancouver – about the Portland Timbers winning the MLS Cup this season. For them to lose to Vancouver in the first week, that was a punch in the face. And hopefully they bounce back from that. But also, like, I'm hoping for a deep CCL run from one of these clubs at least. Maybe it is your guys' club, Columbus. They could be destined – and they should be the team. Time out. Out of all the teams in the CCL, they should be the ones – that have it under control in terms of the CCL fever because no team has better depth than the Columbus crew. So they have no excuses. I mean, and it sucks. Uh, Aiden Morris going down. That was very rough. And he was a kid that I was definitely going to be stock up on this whole season. Um, so shout out to Aiden. Very sorry about your injury. Um, but no, you guys still have like the best depth in the league by far. I take your second lineup over many playoff teams and I, I think you guys absolutely should not have lost – or not lost, but drew that – or went scoreless against the Philadelphia Union, I'd say. Eli Lesser is raiding the crew. David Goss is raiding the crew. We're going to win CCL, baby. What do you think, Mike? Are we going to win CCL? Listen, man, I try to remain biased – or unbiased, excuse me, uh, at all times. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm going to say that I hope that they do a great job, and um, I'm going to leave it at that. I hope they have fun. I hope everybody I hope, I hope both teams have fun <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and it's weird you know because you guys played a CCL team yeah so I was just hoping that someone would do something especially with it being the nationally televised match of Sunday right after the Galaxy Inter Miami match which was a thriller a really fun one to watch I was just hoping for more out of both teams I mean I, I definitely rate the crew a lot higher than I rate the union this season but you know something at least it was competitive I think um, Eloy Room did display his greatness which was very nice to see and so did Andre Blake it was a huge game for both goalkeepers but we're already starting to talk about games let's get into the three games that we plan to talk about LA Galaxy defeated Inter Miami 3-2 thanks to Greg Vanny's second half adjustments that resulted in Chicharito's brace Eli LA Galaxy is let me whisper it what did you make of that game so let me first show you my Guillermo Barra-Scalotto impression. You ready? Mm-hmm. Cover your ears, okay? Here it is. All, throughout his reign at the LA Galaxy, I don't think this man ever said a peep. There were no adjustments ever made. You never see him screaming on the sidelines. So then going to a guy like Greg Vanny is like the biggest upgrade of all time. I mean, first of all, he, he speaks. Um, but also just like you mentioned those adjustments and that's something that we have not seen in the LA Galaxy since Bruce Arena. And it was beautiful to see and it was great for Chicharito to finally gain some sort of confidence. We'll see if that lasts. But either way, he won the hearts of all of us in that process with his emotions and whatnot. But it was it, like, it, it, I'm excited to watch the galaxy again, might I say. I know that's a bit of a bold take, especially with the roster that they have. It's still nowhere near perfect. 
but at least they're showing something right now. And I have to give them that. And sure, we could trash Miami all we want. They obviously weren't the greatest of opponents, but even they looked a bit better this game. I mean, they controlled that first half. That, that whole first half was Miami's match. And I was like, oh boy, same old Galaxy, whatever. And even the back line for the Galaxy, sure, they gave up two goals, but Nick DePew had himself a match with those slide tackles. They were beautiful. And then Jonathan Bond, the new goalkeeper, 008, whatever, no, goalkeeper, 001, I guess. Um, but Mans is beautiful between the sticks. Best goalkeeper the team has had since Jaime Pinedo's one little run he had in 2014. Um, but I'm, I'm excited. I, I have hopes, but I also need to manage them because I'm very pessimistic about the squad still. Um, but if we're talking overreactions, you know, I got to overreact a little bit after that. So you did mention watching the first half, you're like, oh no, same old Galaxy. I was talking to Mike D throughout the first half, and one thing Guillermo Barrascoloto was known for were not making adjustments, but you know they were playing out wide. They were playing in a crazy amount of crosses per game to Chicharito, and that's not necessarily his game plan. And something that I noticed in the first half is they weren't fighting Victor Vasquez and the midfielders in good positions, and they were constantly going out wide. They weren't finding Sebastian Legette in those little spaces. They were going out wide, and they were still kind of serving in those crosses. So I was asking Mike Diaz, do you think this – are they going to change? Like, they got a new coach. They got some new players in here. I hope this isn't their game plan going into it. And then the second half, Greg Vanny was able to, you know, swallow the humble pie and say, you know what, what's happening right now isn't working, and I'm going to change that. And look what happened. Look what happened for Chicharito. That, that simple change that he made to the formation made change not just that game, but the entire season because of the confidence that it gave Chicharito. I think it's true, right, though? I mean, just like I think, Blake, you and I talked about this. Chicharito's used to playing with somebody, is he not? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, having him playing a sole role up there by himself can have its challenges. So as soon as he threw, you know, Zubak in there, it obviously changed the game immediately. So I think it, absolutely it should be a change that uh, is applied going forward. This game for me um, was a game that, first of all, after watching, everybody should be excited to watch LA Galaxy again. Um, with, with Chicharito redeeming himself after 2020. Um, Sasha Kleshin game-winning Sasha goal, Kleshin, excuse me. Sasha Kleshin with, an, with a beautiful left-footed curler uh, inside the post there. Um, I love Sasha Kleshin, by the way. I loved him when he was in Orlando. Um, but we'll, we're not going to get into that. Okay. Uh, I do have game... a good question story if we want, but no, we can pass on that. <laughs> okay. Um, this one was about, you know, the big stars coming to redeem themselves from last year's season. And it happened. I mean, Blaise Matuidi did a really good job disrupting the midfield against LA to get into transition that helped Inter Miami create a lot of chances. Um, obviously Chicharito scored his goals. Um, now I think, totaling his 2020 goal total um, in the first game. So he's off to a great start. Um, and somehow Vanny was able to lead his team to three points, doing the same thing that LA's always done, which is cross the ball from the outside. So uh, it was a great game to watch. Um, Inter-Miami, I think, played well. Uh, despite only having 33% of the possession, they controlled a lot of the, um, the, the chances, uh, like you said, in the first half. And so... I'm excited to see what both of these teams do going forward. Speaking of Miami, I did like DP Matuidi and the Gregory midfield partnership. I thought that was good. I thought Gregory kind of unleashed a different Matuidi than what we saw last year. So I'm looking forward to that. But I have a quick question. I just want to 
over under answer, and then we're moving on to the next game. Chicharito over under 15 and a half goals. Eli, go. I have to be optimistic after that and be a homeboy and say over. It probably won't happen, but over. All right. Mike D, you're on the spot. I'm saying under, but not by much. But not by much. I'm going. I'm saying I'm going over just to say it. 10 goals. He scores 10 goals this season. Right, which is going, honestly a dub. Yeah. Double digits is good, but I'm going over 15 and a half. But really anything is better than two. But moving forward, despite Nashville outshooting FC Cincinnati, like Mike D said, 31 to 7, and outpossessing them 58% to 42%, since he were able to come away with a point thanks to goals from their two debutants, Luciano Acosta and a $13 million man, Brenner. Is Brucho going to be one of the most fun duos in the league? And what were your thoughts on that match? With them, okay, first of all, I don't think we ne- necessarily saw the chemistry between them yet um, in that match. I mean, neither of those goals were a result of both of them being involved, I'd say. Um, so we'll see. I don't think they'll be as elite as or I don't rate them as highly as I rate, you know, like the Reynoso Abila duo per se, but Hey, since fans have something to look forward to. And I think that's the real gift of this duo. And one thing I wanted to mention about inner Miami and galaxy, which could actually go with FC Cincinnati. And it's a stock up that I did have until I came on this show. I'm going to say stock up two striker formations because Sure, they've, they're a bit old school. They're a bit dated. But I grew up – okay, I'm a Galaxy fan. Okay, woo, putting that out there. I grew up watching the 4-4-2 Galaxy where they have two different types of strikers up and playing. We saw it with the Galaxy. The second they had two strikers on the field, it changed. Inter-Miami, they got their goals with two strikers. I mean, Gonzalo Higuain, Robbie Ro- uh, Robinson – not Robbie Rogers, but having Robbie Robinson still there. And you know what? FC Cincinnati can do that with Brenner and Jurgen Locadia up there. I don't see why the teams have to have one of those guys on the wing. Jurgen Locadia this offseason was like, yeah, I'm playing on the wing now. But, like, why not go back to a 4-4-2? I mean, you guys are more of the – you were the college soccer players, so you could roast me for that. But I just think we have to bring back the, the two striker formations because clearly it has some value. Sorry for that rant. Yeah, absolutely. No, and even with the two strikers, one of them could drop in as a false nine. Like, there's many things you could do with the 4-4-2. Formations are what you make them, to be honest with you, and the tactics and roles that you give each of your players. So – I have no problem with the 4-4-2. I have no problem with any formation as long as it suits the opponent you're playing against and it fits the and it suits your team's strength. So if a team can play a 4-4-2, I'm all for it. If they have to play two different roles as the two number nines, then fine. So I, I'm for that. I do I do think that stocks are up for two two striker teams. I do like that. But one thing I do want to talk about with Brenner and Luciano Acosta. So, Luciano Acosta, in a full season with Wayne Rooney, I'm not comparing Wayne Rooney to Brenner or anything, but Luciano Acosta recorded 10 goals and 17 assists in 2018. And Brenner, the $13 million man, had 21 goals and 30 starts for Sao Paulo. They both scored in this game. They're off to a really good start. Since he only scored 12 goals last season – they're at least going to double it, maybe triple it with 36, but I think there's a lot of goals there. Hey, as long as it gets results, I think that's all that really matters for FC Cincinnati at this point. Get above the wooden spoon, and it's a W for them. Yeah, I, I, could, I couldn't agree more. I, I agree. Um, for me, this game was 
I mean, it was an exciting game to watch. It was a lot of back-and-forth action, right? I mean, FC Cincinnati went in the offseason, and they addressed some some needs, which the biggest one being to score goals, right? Um, and they did that, you know, right off the bat. Uh, against a national team that's good defensively. Uh, I think Acosta is going to be instrumental for them as they continue to improve areas in and around the attack. Um, and I think Nashville, you know, really kind of captures your heart a little bit because they're just such a resilient team and they have a lot of fight in them. So the ability to fight back from a 2-0 um, deficit like they did uh, takes us back a little bit to, to last year and um, can't help but have a little bit of, uh, of a place in my heart for them. Final match, LAFC versus Austin FC. It was the most watched soccer match on U.S. television last week and more than any Premier League match. Should Austin fans be pleased with their inaugural match performance? Eli? I'm going to say yes. Okay, you shouldn't have the expectation that you are going to come into MLS and automatically be a title contender. I mean, it's unrealistic to think. We even saw this last year with LAFC beating Inter-Miami in their first match. I mean, the real L of this match was Carlos Vela being subbed off in the 20th minute, that whole tobacco. But, I mean, there were positives from Austin's side. Yes, there were chances that they definitely should have scored on. But, hey, Alexander Ring is still the same rock in the midfield that he was for NYCFC. He looked terrific. I'm very excited for Danny Pereira, the number one overall pick in the Super Draft. He looked very decent at times. I'm a little bit worried about Cecilio Dominguez because I felt like he, he stuck out to me as a bit of a weaker point for them in this match. And Danny Hooson as well, who I never really rated. Um, but, you know, he could score goals at times. I, I just think this was a learning experience for them. Obviously, this is their first match. I mean, you can't expect to just go out guns and blazing, you know, like LAFC did beating Seattle in their inaugural match. I mean, not everyone, not everyone is going to replicate the success of LAFC in Atlanta coming into the league, and there shouldn't be the expectation to. Yeah, you talked about Cecilio Dominguez. You mentioned Danny Houston. I think out of their three front guys, Rodney Reyes looked the best for them. Good uh, strategy from Austin FC's front office is they didn't, occupy all three of their DP spots so come summertime if they find themselves not scoring as many goals as they need to win games which I think could be an issue for Austin FC they still have that money and that DP spot to go out and get a guy but Alex Ring absolute staple in the midfield Josh Wolf has a style of play that is easily identifiable identifiable just like Greg Berhalter with the U.S. men's national team Josh Wolf was under him for a number of years with the crew and the national team one stat I did see was so in possession, Austin FC started more possessions in their defensive third with 62 possessions started in their defensive third. So that's more than any other team in MLS. And that all starts with the back line and Alex Ring and then distributing from there. So it's a very clear style of play. They can be fun to watch and they're going to win some games. And who knows, they could sneak into a playoff spot, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that Austin fans do not have to hang their head low. I mean, you're going up against a Western powerhouse and really they looked comfortable, right? I mean, in possession, this team didn't look frazzled. They were able to, like Blake said, build out from the back um, and do so with confidence. So that's something that they need to hang their head on. Yes. There's areas of, of improvement. Of, of course. I mean, it's the first game of the season. It's the first game ever for Austin FC. So I think that given the circumstances, well, yes, of course, we didn't see what Vela could have done, and they don't. They didn't have Rossi. Um, I think Austin um, need to be proud of of the result here. Um, it could have been a lot worse, I think. Blake mentioned. Stocks. Oh, 
I was just no, going to go say ahead. real quick, Blake mentioned the fact that they still have that DP spot available, and there are two metas in MLS signings, in my opinion. You got your number 10 from either Argentina or Spain, and then you got the striker from Liga MX. And I think that Austin needs to use that third DP spot this summer on a Liga MX striker like a Gustavo Bo, a Rui Diaz, a Polito, a Cavallini, and I think that roster could be set. I mean, I don't think they'll be MLS Cup favorites by any means, but like they will definitely be in playoff contention if they could do or if they could pull off some sort of signing like that. Yep, good business from Austin FC to leave one of those spots open to see how they do up until the summer window, and then they can wheel and deal when they need to. But stocks up, Austin. Stocks down, Anthony Precourt. <laughs> Go crew, baby. Uh, so, Eli, Eli, before we let you go, Mike, did you have any final thoughts? No, I don't, I don't have any final thoughts uh, other than just to say, um, Eli, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we follow your content, and it's amazing. And so keep doing what you're doing. We'll be in touch. Um, that's all that I got for you. Cool. Eli, here's your time to plug away. Where can people watch and listen to all of your content? Okay. First of all, if you're not listening to the MLS Gone Wild podcast, I mean, you're probably an idiot because if you're hearing this, you are. Um, but also make sure you subscribe to everything MLS Gone Wild. But then also I have my stuff too. And This Week in MLS on Instagram and Twitter. Then also shout out to the 110 Football Show. Uh, I got the freedom to be my weird self this season there. So check out my editorials and yeah, I just thank you guys so much for being so welcoming, having me on the show. This was really fun. And I, I mean, if you ever need a random guest for anything, I'm always available. I'm always busy, but always free. So it's a pleasure to talk with you guys and can't wait to kick your guys's butts in MLS gone wild fantasy. Yeah, if you guys are listening to us, there's a very good chance that you're probably following, listening, and watching Eli Lesser on a daily and weekly basis. But listeners, we're going to take a quick break from a word from our sponsors, Added Time Outfitters. After the break, we'll be joined by Portland Timbers midfielder Eric Williamson to talk about his breakout 2020 season, not making the U23 Olympic qualifying roster, CCL success, and so much more. You don't want to miss this one. We'll be back in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands that let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 8 of MLS Gone Wild. Head over to AddedTimeOutfitters.com to get all your soccer-inspired wristbands and apparel. Use code GONEWILD at checkout for 10% off your entire order. 
Joining us now is Portland Timbers and U.S. Men's National Team midfielder, Easy e Eric Williamson. Eric, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. How are you doing today? Good, man. It's, you know, a good day off here in Portland. You know, not much to do with the pandemic shutting things down, but, you know, able to get some sun and, and, and rest up for this game this weekend. First home opener or home opener for the season, so excited for that. I know guys are guys are buzzing, didn't get the result we wanted, but, you know, ultimately the play was there, so. Yeah, 100%, man. It was a fun first week of MLS, uh, even prior to the first week of the MLS season, you know, watching CCL, getting, getting excited for that. But before we jump into some of those pieces, uh, we want to take it back, you know, in 2019. Uh, when you when you started, you played in seven matches, totaling in just 30, 234 minutes for the Timbers. Fast forward to 2020, you started in 17 of 21 matches, recording three goals and six assists across all competitions. What attributed to your uptick in playing time and production in your breakout 2020 season for the Timbers? You know, I think a lot of it was 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 mental. I knew it was a year that I needed to go out and, and prove myself. I struggled in years past to get on the field and you know ultimately going into MLS's back I was able to you know take that step and start start that first game so I was you know excited there but I I knew I had so much to prove and I think going out against Galaxy I you know was able to do that and the next game was able to produce you know I think my first assist or first stat ever um in, in MLS and it was just one to build on I, I know we went LAFC next and we kind of rotated the group but ultimately we knew that every game after that was win or go home. So it was, you know, it brought out a little more competitive spirit in us. And I think it showed what we had as a team. And I think ultimately for me, I was able to, you know, affect some of those games and, 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 and do some of the things I was good at and show kind of the world that, you know, I was there to play and ultimately has led us to where we are now. And I think it's, you know, good that organization believes in me. And I have so much belief in this organization that I can, you know, take that next step moving into 2021. So Eric, take me into your mentality a little bit. So you recorded four goals and nine assists for Timbers 2 in 2019. Did you know that your success in USL championship would translate into the MLS right away the way it did? Not directly. I think it would have, it was going to be one of those where it had to be, you know, time to kind of build that. And I think, you know, playing those seven games and not having really any production um, from it really spoke to you know what how much more it's going to take to try and get production at the MLS level and I think I was you know it took some time but ultimately we saw some results um in 2020 and I think it was you know stepping stone you know picking the brains of you know the guys around me and it was ultimately unlocked you know this person I guess we didn't know was there um but it was a good kind of transition into MLS. So speaking of picking the brains of the guys around you, you, unlike a lot of young guys coming into the league, came in and are playing in a midfield surrounded by MLS and Portland Timbers greats and Diego Char and Diego Valeri. You're now entering year two of learning, developing, and playing alongside those two guys. How influential have they been on your career so far? As you said, I mean, listen, when I tell you these two are some of the smartest guys I've ever played with, you know, I can be in the middle of a game and, you know, one little comment's being said from Valeri, like, hey, do this. And it's, hey, I told you to do it. Hey, do this. And it's, 
you know, it's, it's unlocking us. And then obviously on, on the training field, it's, you know, Hey, like, let's start practicing some of these things, you know, let's get in better habits of doing, you know, closing down people a little quicker. And it's, you know, the, the brains of Chara on, on the defensive side, it just kind of, you know, is a part of my game that I didn't really develop yet. And I think he's, you know, if not most of the success, a lot of it should be credited to, you know, Chara for, you know, what he's, he's told me and what he's, you know, all the advice he's, he, he's given me. And then on the attacking side, it allows me to see how Valeri moves, see how he's, you know, delivering these final passes and scoring these goals and, you know, picking his brain. It's not every day you have two South American center mids that speak amazing English that you can literally say, Hey, I don't, now I don't have to try and, you know, ask the question in Spanish. I don't have to ask the question, you know, try and for, you know, force my way into figuring out what I want to ask. And, you know, they are very transparent with me. If they think I, I, I need to do more, I, they think I need to do less, then they'll say that. So I think it's a lot of success and a lot of credit should be given to those two to, you know, ultimately being, you know, the third piece in the puzzle in, in our midfield. How fun is it to how fun is it to play with those two guys? It's it's honestly unbelievable. And like Chara has this smile to him where he'll foul and I'm like, oh, Chara. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and it's just like like you can never one ever be mad or upset with these guys because they're they're always doing the right thing. So it's it's the few moments where, you know, Valeria missed a chance and I'm like, ah, oh, Valeria, let's go. Next one. And it's like he'll kind of give me a look like, I know, I know, don't worry, you don't have to tell me and it's you know, same with Chara. So it's just a lot of fun. Um, I didn't think it would be as fun as it, it, it actually is, but it's, you know, makes my time here so much better and, you know, 10 times easier as well. I can only imagine. I mean, you got both – you're right in the middle of, you know, some of the best the best guys that have ever played the positions, you know, in the defensive side, you know, and also in the attacking side. So I can I can only imagine in that smile. We see it all the time with, with Chara on TV as well. So, yeah. um, I mean, it's literally surrounded by greatness with, with those two. It's, you know, one guy behind me, one guy in front of me. And it's, it's, it's unreal. Like words can't, ex like can't describe, like sometimes it's kind of like, you know what, like, oh, you know, we're going on another game and it's like, Charo would do something that I don't expect, you know, Valeria do something I don't expect. I'm like, wow, like I get to play with it, but you know, you can't be that fanboy sometimes on the field. So it's just kind of like, Hey, Valeria, good job. Um, yeah, good job. You know, just like that, like, you don't want to be like, hey, yo, that was sick. Like, I can't believe you did that. But it is what it is. But I, I, I love the two dearly. And, you know, even off the field, I try to, you know, keep it super like, hey, you know what? Let's not talk about what you did on the field. Let's see if we can pick something else. And now it's, you know, both of the guys are electric car lovers. And I just got an electric car. And it's like we're now we're talking about electric cars all the time. So it's. <laughs> You know, we have this, like, super, super dope friendship and relationship that, you know, is on and off the field. That's amazing. We'll, we'll definitely be sad when, when they're done with their time in <laughs> the MLS, for sure. I can, I can Hopefully no time soon. Benjamin hopefully, Black. yeah. Hopefully no time soon. So, following, you know, your, your breakout 2020 season led to a call-up um, to the 31-man U23 U.S. Men's National Team camp ahead of the Olympic qualifiers. And unfortunately, as we all know, um, you were not named to the 20-man roster that would fail to qualify. What were your thoughts and feelings when you found out that you didn't make the final roster? And if you talked to Jason Christ, what was that conversation like? 
Yeah, I think we had an honest conversation that my time in Mexico uh, specifically was not ideal. Um, it was the first time I was really getting back into training sessions after, you know, my ankle injury at the end of the year. So I think it was, you know, time to figure out where my body was. Um, and then it, you know, it was a conversation that I thought could have, that could have gone a different way in terms of maybe, you know, we, we stay and see, you know, with the, with injuries or something that I stay down there potentially to be another midfielder that could help or, you know, being in and around a group that, you know, with the U20s, we qualified with a lot of the CONCACAF games and experience I've had. Maybe it was, you know, keeping me down there a little longer, but I think it was a conversation I didn't really fully expect, um, I would say. Um, it was it was tough, but at the end of the day, I respect his decision, and, you know, there's a lot of what-ifs, and everything in between, but I know that, you know, it kind of put a chip on my shoulder to make sure I'm back in the group and, you know, to prove that, you know, it's more than just, you know, those training sessions, more than just that experience in Mexico is, you know, more than who I am as, as a player. So I think mentally it was tough. I know it was, you know, it was a low moment for sure, but I knew that we had such a big year with, with the Timbers that, you know, I couldn't dwell on it too long. Um, when I came back, I think, the conversations having with Gio that I had with, you know, some of our assistants is was very honest and very, you know, they were able to see some clips and saw like, Hey, listen, this isn't who, who you have been, you know, and it's, they were trying to figure it out and they kind of saw it, saw my mentality kind of drop off a little bit um, when I came back, but, you know, they were able to build me up. And I think, you know, confidence is back as we've, we've, we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Um, but ultimately I think right away it, was, it, it, it hurt a little bit. Um, and I think that's just kind of, you know, what we have to deal with as, as, as players is, you know, not being selected for a team, not being in a group. So, you know, I, the moment I left, I know I, I was telling some of the guys like, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm praying you guys qualify. I, like I, I want us to be at the Olympics and, you know, it, it was tough to see us not qualify and, you know, turning off the TV after they didn't qualify. I just knew that feeling was going to be a rough one. It was going to be a kind of dark cloud over U.S. soccer. But I think it ultimately will – we should come back on the stronger side. We know now, you know, not to make these mistakes again in terms of not qualifying, not, you know, bringing a group that is strong enough to qualify. Um, I think the the, the players that were – that were there were amazing players, but, you know, as, as the conversations have gone on, I think, you know, there's not just myself, but a, a few others that could really made a difference down in, down in Mexico. And it's tough, you know, even still talking about it, it's kind of a, you know, a little sensitive, but at the same time, you know, I think it's, we can all move on to the fact that we haven't, that we didn't qualify. We can move on that, you know, I didn't make the group that, you know, Jabo didn't make the group that, you know, some of these guys that have been and established themselves in the league didn't make the group. So. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a motivating piece, right? I mean, just like you said, you got a chip on your shoulder. Everybody kind of has that now uh, even more. So I think a lot of positive things have happened in the progression 
of the U.S. men's national team and really just U.S. soccer in general. Um, but with those conversations, you know, from, you know, Christ and the U.S. men's national team staff and then with Gio and the Portland staff, um, are there tactical similarities between what is expected of you in Portland and then also on the U.S. men's national team? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, here in Portland, I have more of a, of a free role because, I mean, I don't have to take on the attacking responsibilities um, that are fully necessary. You know, Valeri, that name by itself does it, you know, does the job. And then same with the defensive side, I think Chara, you know, no one wants to play against Chara. And it's like, even in training, you know, I'm trying to stay away from Chara just because it's, you know, no one wants to go against them. So I think, you know, having a little more freedom to kind of, you know, do the dirty work in between um, has benefited me as a player and the way I play. I think with, with the national team, it's a little more structured where it's, you know, X player stays in X position for, you know, a certain amount of time. It has to be in this space and arrive in this space, but it's, you know, I can go, I can drop in and play the six with Portland. I can go play the 10, you know, I can make runs in the box or, I can be the deepest guy getting the ball. I think it's a little similar in terms of, you know, on the attacking side, but I think that like the freedom of, you know, the buildup, the freedom of, you know, playing in these half spaces that they, that the national team wants and, you know, is, is expecting of their, you know, eight tens is, is a little different, but I think, you know, that's where my attributes kick in is that I'm, I'm, I'm able to go play six. I'm able to go play the 10 and, you know, allowing me time to go do that. I think unlocks teams and now it's okay. Well, this guy was in the midfield. We can step out because now he's a six and now it's like, okay, well, I'm making the run in the box as well. So it's, you know, who's, who's marking him at this moment. It's, you know, being around the same people in the field at all times just kind of makes it, you know, a bit challenging, but, I would say there's there there are some similarities, but at the same time, it's you know a very different system than you know how we're playing here in Portland. I think it's it, it's benefiting us here in here here in Portland. So everything that you just said, I go back to a highlight video that I sent to Mike D earlier. I wasn't going to bring it up, but it was the highlight video that led to the second goal against CD Marathon and CCL when you know you just told me that you could be the deepest player you could be the six you could be the eight you could be the ten you were literally all of those you received the ball from the goalkeeper half turned baited the center back dribbled by him split him played a ball to I believe Mora breaking the line beating three of the midfielders and then making a 80 yard sprint diagonally to the near post corner of the six freeing up some space for Yemi Chara to score a goal you literally did it all there. What was, what was going through your mind when you were doing all that? Was that just Eric being creative or is that Gio's brilliance? I think it's, it, it, it's a little of both. You know, he, he, he tells me to get in the box and make sure that I'm the guy that, you know, is the late runner. But I think it was, it was a situation where now I'm playing Felipe um, and, and he's turning into a space. And now that I've played him, I'm kind of, you know, a little past him, I think. You know, we had a video session on 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 the goal, and they were like, "Guys, like, let's just let, let's just watch what this guy does." Like, it's you you couldn't draw it up. Like, hey, Eric, pass this ball, make the first run, and you know, guys are joking that you know. And now in training, it's you know, I, I'm I'm trying the same things. I'm trying to get in the habit of you know being guy in the box, and it's 
you know, we're doing crossing and finishing and I'm making the near post run and it's, you know, guys like Jabo are like, hey, like you make it one time, now you're going to do it every single time. And it's, you know, little jokes like that, that, I mean, that was a play that in the game, you don't really know what you did until you watch it back after. You know, when I, when I, when I ended up in the box, I forgot that I had made the pass from, you know, getting the first pass from Steve and I ended up in the box and it's like, one of those you're looking back like, wow, like that's a play that, you know, needs to happen more. That's a play that's kind of like, well, I did it once. Let's like continue to do it again. And it's, I honestly love that clip because it, it, it shows my desire to want to be flexible and build up. And I think, you know, all the, all the pieces around me allows me to do that. So it was a good one, but I think it's, you know, something we need to keep doing a little more. Okay, so we're going to go back to the U.S. men's national team real quick. So taking that skill set that we just described and that highlight, the chip on your shoulder and your current form, if Greg Berhalter called you right now, do you feel as if you would be ready for a Gold Cup or Nations League call-up? 100%. I think, you know, building fitness into a camp, um, I think the complications of qualifying was, you know, it was early in preseason. It's, you know, guys have been playing games, but I think getting in the rhythm and knowing you know, what I need to bring and what I need to do to be in that group um, is pretty clear. And I, I think I'm, I'm at a point now where, you know, I would be ready for, you know, a call up for a gold cup or I'd be ready for a call up to, you know, make my way into that group. Greg Berhalter, you hear, heard it here first. Call <laughs> the guy up, man. He's ready. All right, so following your time with the U23 U.S. Men's National Team, you headed back to Portland Timbers preseason to prepare for your CONCACAF Champions League round of 16 match for CD Marathon. You went on to defeat Marathon 7-2 on aggregate and advanced to the CCL quarterfinals for the first time in Portland Timbers club history. Next up is seven-time CCL champs and Liga MX Giants Club America. Can the Timbers become the first MLS team to ever win CONCACAF Champions League? And what do you all need to do to ensure that this can become a reality? Details. I mean, we need to, I mean, we saw it this weekend with Vancouver. I think it's, I think it's, it's possible. I think we have the group, we have the, we have the overall ability, I think, to make this run. I mean, you see with MLS is back, you know, taking down in Orlando, taking down, you know, NYCFC taking down Philadelphia with, you know, all the guys they had. And I think it's going to be tough, but ultimately it's something, you know, we need to go game by game. You know, I, we, I, I've expressed this time and time again that we can't look too far to the future. We did MLS is back the way we did because it's one game. Club America, I think, is going to be one of the biggest hurdles, if not the biggest. Um, so it's just one of those that we need to focus on, you know, getting – being back to all the details, you know, we checked off against Marathon, you know, where we're, we're going to be tough to beat, especially at home. Um, and then going, going to uh, Stadio Azteca, I think it's, you know, it's going to be a big one. You know, everyone's looking forward to it, but I know we have the one home first. So it's, you know, get the result home and, you know, we can be starstruck by the stadium when, once we get there. But ultimately, we got we to get the job done, I think. We have, we have a lot invested into the CCL, um, and hopefully it works out in our favor. But I think, you know, guys are buzzing. Guys are just ready to get down to Mexico and know that second leg is going to be, you know, the, the biggest one, you know, massive stadium, massive, massive game. And ultimately, I think, you know, we can do it. But 
it might be a it's going to be a tough one but i think we have the ability to do it so building on the cco we have the portland timbers crew union atlanta and toronto all advancing to the round of 16 in cco what does this say about the quality of the mls that all five participating clubs have moved on to the quarterfinals for the first time ever it just shows that our league's growing. Um, you look at a team like Philly, who two of their, you know, starting players have, have left for Europe. You know, this this league has never been a selling league. Um, it's always been a buying league. And I think that shows that, you know, their strength is still there. You know, they have replaced some of their pieces, but at the same time, you know, they're strong. You look in Atlanta, who had a rough year, and it's now they're rebuilding and they're able to move on. And then Toronto's taking down, you know, Lyon, which isn't an easy game. and they did it with, you know, half the guys that they usually are playing with. So it, it just shows that this league has taken a massive step. You know, it's people want to come to MLS, not just to end their careers, but knowing that it could be the, like the next step in, in their careers. You look at Claudio Bravo, who's, who's 23, and, you know, usually this is a guy who will end up in Europe. He'll end up in Mexico. But now it's, okay, well, I see him, I believe, in the MLS, and, you know, he's a massive piece. And I'm sure if, you know, the way he's playing, he continues to play, he, you know, Portland Timbers are now look, looking like a, like a selling club because it's, you know, young guys want to come in and they want to be the next step in, you know, people's careers. It's, you know, not just, okay, let's go to Portland and end it there. We can go Portland to Europe. We can go Portland to, you know, a bigger club, say in you know asia you know something like that it's it's a matter of now it's not just okay this is retirement league this is a league where you know guys are done so it just shows how much we've grown and 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 you know i think the mls is finally getting the respect it deserves i totally agree and after watching this first round of ccl there was a conversation blake and i had and, and came to mind that the mls is probably, and this might be going out on a ledge here, but the MLS is probably the best league in CONCACAF. And with that being said, you talk about guys like Claudio Bravo, you know, going to Europe. What about Eric Williamson? What are your aspirations, you know, for playing internationally and going to Europe? I think this is, this is a, a conversation that I've, I've had multiple times with, you know, this club and, you know, my agent. I know that the first step was getting on the field. Um, now it's, now it's establishing myself and, you know, getting into the national team. And I think to, to compete with, you know, the Tyler Adams, compete with the Weston McKinney's, it's, you know, taking that step in Europe. But at the, by the same time, I don't think there's, there's no rush to end up in Europe. I'm in a position here where I'm playing a great team, an amazing culture, you know, the atmosphere here in Portland, I, I love dearly, you know, and it's one of those where, if the opportunity came about, I'm, I'm sure it's a conversation that all, all parties will honestly have. It will be an honest conversation from all parties. It's not just going to be, okay, I want to leave because I need to be in Europe. It's, well, is, is this the best decision for my career? Is this the next step in my career? I think taking, breaking into the national team, I think it's ultimately the next step. And then from there, it's, if there's a bigger team in Europe, if there's a team in you know, a situation in Europe that makes sense. And, you know, maybe we, we look there, but ultimately I know that this is where I want to be. And, you know, even in the long term, I can develop here as a player and as a person. So it's, 
I'm in, I'm in no rush and no need to try and move. But ultimately, I think if, if, if something came up, I'm sure we would, we, we would entertain it. Yeah, American soccer fans right now are under the impression that, you know, if you don't go over to Europe when you're 18, then it's not going to happen. But you're still relatively young, Eric. And like you said, once you get into the national team, you're going to have more international exposure. But you just talked about the growth of the league, and there's more international exposure now just within the MLS. So you're performing well here. If you do get that call up for a Gold Cup or Nations League from Greg Berhalter, that will bode very well from you, and you will get more eyes on you. And I know you just signed a contract extension. How long was that for? Um, until 2025. Somebody might buy that out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I think it's definitely one. I mean, you look at Jordan Morris, you look at Paul Ariola. I mean, loan moves are, are coming about as well. And I think it's, you know, you see the eyes that are now in this league and, you know, there's a lot more opportunity than there was before. I couldn't agree more. So we're going to go back to CCL now. Yes, Eric, we do hope that eventually you do go to Europe and your career blossoms over there and you're a star for the U.S. men's national team. But we're going back to CCL for a minute in the MLS play. So none of the five MLS teams playing in CCL won an opening weekend. And of the five, only Toronto FC scored. In your opening match MLS play, you guys suffered a 1-0 loss to your Canadian rivals, the Vancouver Whitecaps. What were your thoughts on the team's overall performance there? I think for us personally, it was just a matter of finishing our chances. I mean, if you look back at the game and we scored two goals, it's, 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 a, it's a different conversation. And I think, you know, we've had an honest conversation that it just wasn't good enough for him um, as a team. Um, I know personally, I didn't feel in the moment that we were doing, you know, terrible. We haven't been able to sit down and analyze it yet. But I know that, you know, ultimately, you never want to lose. But at the same time, you see our production. You see what we did in that game were most of the right things. I, it, it, it came down to one set piece that, you know, we lost focus on. And I think it kind of opens an eye for us that, you know, we need to make sure that we're locking these things back down. Um, we can't just get caught up in the moment with, 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 with CCL. We have to, you know, we go out every game to win and there's not a single moment where we're like, okay, well, we can take this game off. And I think – as a team, I think in the attacking third, we kind of took this game off. You know, we we weren't clinical. We weren't as sharp as we were against Marathon. And I think, you know, the confidence from being at Marathon, I think we were trying to, you know, make it a little too pretty. Um, I think it's just ultimately we just need to put the ball in the back of the net and, you know, grind out a, you know, 2-1 win in, in, in Utah instead of it being, okay, let's make all the goals look look as good as they did against uh, as good as they did against Marathon. So is the main difference between CCL play and MLS play win or go home or what is the main differences between those two competitions? I would say there's there's a little more hunger there there, there was a little more bite against Marathon. We knew that we needed to win that game and I think being able, you know, being pretty and being this okay, let's just try and put it in and make it look good. You know, it was just kind of, listen, we're going to score as many goals as possible and we're going to keep running up the score instead of it being like, okay, this is going to be a really good-looking team goal. Love that. So the Portland Timbers finally welcome back fans to Providence Park in your match against Marathon, and their next chance to see you in action is this Saturday against the Houston Dynamo. What was it like to finally play 
in front of Timber's Army in Providence Park and hear Timber Joey saw slabs off that log again? You know, once we scored our first one, it's it's kind of that 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 sound that you know gets you excited. You know, it was we're so used to hearing you know Geo and all the staff on the bench yelling, "Oh, good goal!" This that, and the other, and it's you know now we actually hear fans cheering, and then you hear Timber Joey chopping on the log, and then it's like, "Oh well, has this been going on all game?" Because I mean, we start we started to score and score and score, and it's just like it was consistently going, and it's like that. It's just like that, like tune that's kind of ringing in your head. That's just like nice and soothing. Um, and I think it kind of got, you know, people a little more excited. Like, all right, it's my turn. And I, I know that we've missed our fans. You know, everyone knows the atmosphere in Portland, and it just caused it. It, it just wasn't the same without them. Um, now it's starting to come back, even though it's not completely full. It still definitely feels like it. You know, we have that 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 twelfth man with with the fans. So. Definitely makes it a a fun one, and everyone's looking forward to you know being back there every game. It's you know you go to Utah with no fans, and it's you know kind of dead silent, and then now you're back in Portland, and we know you know we, we never want to disappoint the fans, and you know it just gives us that extra little motivation that you know we know that we can't we can't lose at home. I almost got used to that fake fan noise that was going on for the past year, and to see. MLS stadiums halfway full, 25% full of fans this past week was amazing. And it was especially cool to watch your guys' match because Timber Joey sawed five slabs <laughs> off that log. And Inner Miami looked like COVID wasn't even real down there. It was absolutely crazy watching that match, you know. But it's, it, it's really cool to see fans back in the stands. We're establishing some kind of normalcy. Hopefully people are out getting their vaccines and taking proper precautions and stuff like that so we can be 100% full. I want Providence Park to be rocking mid to late season. So when you guys are making your playoff run, it's going to be rocking in there. Right, exactly. I mean, you look at 15% and it's like, okay, this is kind of empty. But, you know, Marathon actually traveled well. They had a good little fan section up there. You know, they, we, we were able to hear them, but it's – you know, we need to, you know, drown them out again. You know, being able fully fully open, you look at Inter-Miami, as you said, you know, I they showed the fan base. And I'm like, well, maybe that was their strategy, you know, having their whole fan base be, you know, that 15 or, or, or 50% that they had down there. But it was unreal. It's good to see. But I know that, you know, everyone's excited for, you know, life to go back to normal with, you know, full Providence Park. So, all right, so, Eric, that's all the questions we got for you. Mike D., do you have any closing thoughts before we let Eric go? No, just want to say, Eric, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we really do appreciate it here at MLS Gone Wild. We are wishing the best for you. Best of luck in your game this Saturday against Houston, man. Go get a dub. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Anytime. Yeah, Eric, thank you for joining MLS Gone Wild. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to Season 3, Episode 8 of MLS Gone Wild, featuring guests Eli Lesser and Eric Williamson. Match Day 2 kicks off Friday night at 7.30 p.m. between Sporting Kansas City and Orlando City, followed up by a full weekend of MLS action. Enjoy. Keep supporting local soccer. We'll catch you guys next week. Peace.